Good morning, everyone. Uh, I hope you're having a, a lovely mo uh, morning today. Um, today, me and Mona are going to uh, talk about very interesting topics. Uh, hello, Mona. How are you? Hello, Hayat. How are you? I'm okay, thanks. Uh, I'm excited. Ramadan is next week. Happy Ramadan. Happy Ramadan. Good afternoon, everyone. Yeah, it's next week, inshallah. Um, yeah. uh, definitely. Um, uh, I hope it will be a very nice month, um, a very different Ramadan than last one, which was like um, uh, during the pandemic. Uh, so hopefully this one is going to be a better one. Um, yeah, so today um, um, I just want to say that uh, Mona will be joining us again after summer. So like with the new academic year. Uh, and I will be presenting different episodes during the summer uh, on my own. So um, uh, uh, hopefully um, uh, we'll get things back to normal uh, with the start of the new academic year. So I'm going to talk about uh, Marvel uh, superheroes or Muslim superheroes today. Um, so just a brief history about Marvel comics. Um, and I'm reading from... Uh, an article by Nicholas Pumphrey called uh, called Mute, Avenger Mutant or Allah, a short evolution of the depiction of Muslims in Marvel Comics. So Marvel Comics is known for being edgy and controversial, always pushing the mold. Uh, in 1960s, the X-Men seemingly symbolized the civil rights movement. The X-Men are a team of mutants, a new species that are born with special powers, making them feared and hated by humans. They are led by Professor X to bring about peace between humans and mutants. But the vi uh, villain Magneto believes in fighting for dominance over humans. In 1966, Marvel introduced the first black superhero, the Black Panther, who rules his own African country, which is far more advanced than America. In 1973, Marvel did the unthinkable and killed a major character in its main series, Spider-Man. The teenage uh, Peter Parker, who was given powers when bitten by a radioactive spider, could not save his girlfriend, Gwen Stacy, and she died in such an ambiguous way that the reader thought Spider-Man killed uh, Gwen Stacy. So it should be no surprise that Marvel introduced Muslim characters looking at all these changes that happened in the past. So before 9-11, Muslims were figures of Orientalist imagination, uh, always characterized as Arabs and depicted in stereotypical dress and manner, with dark skin, turbans, large mustaches, and often riding carpets or camels. And so after 9-11, Marvel perpetuated the stereotypical portrayal of terrorists in many of their comics, which is no surprise. Most visible was the retcon story arc of Iron Man called Extremists. However, comics are not written from one ideology, and there are a plethora of writers and artists with, with diverse polit political and religious affiliations that will work on a single series over time. A single issue alone will have many different authors and artists who sometimes have not even met each other. So authors like Scotland-born uh, Grant Morrison did not trust the rampant American patriotism of post-9-11 comics. And so he created Soraya Qadr, an Afghani mutant with the ability to control sand. As a fully veiled Muslim, she's a direct response to the Muslim uh, paranoia of this time period, but still based on stereotypes of Muslim women. 
So in more recent years, many Muslim artists and writers have emerged to develop their own American Muslim heroic narratives. Uh, so in, 19, in 2014, a Pakistani Muslim uh, teenage girl named Kamala Khan debuted as the new, Marley, uh, new Miss Marvel and the first Muslim superhero to carry her own uh, book. Uh, and so he continues to talk about uh, the uh, critical and canonical theory of uh, like comics, uh, looking at pre and post 9-11, I guess, context. Um, uh, but like for me, I think the most uh, five, the five characters that stand out or uh, Muslim characters. First of all, uh, we have Qahira. So according to the United Nations, um, a staggering 99.3 percent of Egyptian women have experienced sexual harassment. So uh, that means a hell lot of work for Qahira. Egypt's first female veiled crusader and the soul of successful webcomic. So she's part of a good, successful webcomic. Qahara's um, uh, favorite method of revenge is leaving her enemies dangling from a pole, alive but humiliated. And that's what she does in the webcomic. Uh, the other characters, uh, the one I just mentioned, was uh, Kamala Khan. And um, she's a teenager living in a normal suburban life. Uh, she finds out that she has superpowers. She can grow or shrink her body. And uh, she has decided to use them for the common good. Uh, in other ways, she's uh, anything but ordinary in the comic world. Um, and so she's a second generation American Muslim and daughter of Pakistani parents. Kamala Khan, her normal person name, has some domestic battles to fight. And then we have uh, Burqa Avenger. <laughs> the names are so funny. So she's a school teacher by day, ninja fighter by night, and all without even changing her clothes. So she wears her Burqa. The main character in the successful Pakistani cartoon show, said to be inspired by Malala Yousafzai, um, has drawn controversy for her attire. So some say there can be nothing remotely liberating or transgressive about wearing a burqa, but the creator of the show, pop star Harun, replies that there is not much difference between all black, all concealing robes and catwoman outfits. So it's all the same. Um, and then we have uh, Iron Butterfly, um, who were, which is introduced by DC Comics, and um, it's their very own Palestinian superheroine. Um, I'm sorry. Um, and uh, uh, her name is uh, Kahina Iskandarani, um, um, uh, who has like unclear origins. Her family is murdered. And uh, Iron Butterfly, um, she is the leader of the commander of the Shadow Cabinet. She owns her name uh, to her superpower. Um, uh, and so she has the ability to shape metals. And uh, she preferred uh, battle costume, so she's in full like battle costume, kind of like medieval look. And then we have Dust, um, who uh, like in the aftermath of 9/11, which was yeah, a very difficult time for uh, Muslims in America. Uh, we have uh, Suraya Qadir, to, uh, who was uh, introduced uh, along with the X-Men squad. Uh, in a rare example of positive female Muslim character in mainstream comics. Uh, so for her too, the niqab uh, is a source of both uh, strength and trouble. So she first uses her superpower flying enemies alive with a dust-like sand. Um, uh, when a slave trader tries to remove her traditional costume, uh, 
and uh, the characters goes on, but these are the main like five characters. Um, they are very popular now in comic books that have like Muslim characters. So now I'm uh, going to hand the mic to Mona, who's going to tell us about uh, Mona. Are you there? Yes, hello, Hayat. Yeah, uh, so I'm going to uh, discuss uh, an Arab-American writer, uh, Diana Abu Jaber. Um, I read a little bit about her, and uh, I I'm so intrigued uh, about her novels. And um, uh, actually, I chose couple to talk about a couple of novels for her today um, because actually uh, I found it really interesting and in certain places re relatable. So uh, Diana Abu Jaber is an Arab-American writer who was born in the 1960s in Syracuse, New York, to a Jordanian father and American mother. She was um, seven. Uh, when she was seven, her family moved to Jordan for two years, and she has lived between the U.S. and Jordan ever since. Uh, the struggle to make sense of this sort of hybrid life or in-betweenness is infused in her fiction. So I chose a couple of, you know, uh, a couple of her, you know, novels. Her first novel, Arabian Jazz is considered by many to be the first mainstream Arab American novel, which won the 1994 uh, Oregon Book Award. The novel, published in 1993, set in upstate New York, where the author herself grew up. In a, um, is a, the novel is a humorous look at a first-generation Arab American family migrating between their um, Americanized individual lives and the demands and expectations of the traditional extended family network. The characters' lives and the experiences dem demonstrate their displacement, spiritual homelessness, and the hardships of adjustment to a new society. Now, as for her second novel, Crescent, which was inspired by Shakespeare's Othello, is set in contemporary Los Angeles and focuses on a multicultural love story between an Iraqi exile and an Iraqi-American chef. Lush and lyrical, submerged with the flavors and the scents of Middle Eastern food, Crescent is a love story, as well as a gripping tale of commitment and risk. It won the Penn Center Award for Literary Fiction and the American Book Award and has been published in eight uh, countries. Um, in an interview, uh, Diana Abu Jaber said, and I quote, food is such a great human connector. It's so intimate, and Middle Eastern food, when it's done well, is amazing. I thought, let the food be a metaphor for their experience, end of quote. Again, using food as the focal point for her narrative, Diana Abu Jaber's next book, the culinary memoir titled The Language of Baklava, which chronicles her own experiences growing up in a food-obsessed Arab-American family during the 70s and the 80s. The Oprah magazine called the language of baklava, quote, a fascinating memoir of confused exile, of confused exile, great food, and home truth that explored the ruthlessness and constant pressures of assimilation. Each chapter of the memoir is developed around one of her father's traditional Middle Eastern recipes. Um, on the effect of uh, her heritage on her stories, Diana Abu Jaber says, and I quote, 
I grew up inside the sh uh, inside and shape of my father's stories. A Jordanian immigrant, dad regaled us with tales about himself, his country, and his family that both inter uh, entertained us and instructed us about the place he'd come from and the way he saw the world. The story exerted a powerful influence on my imagination in terms of what I choose to write, the style of my language, and the form my own stories took." End of quote. And of course, then Abu Jabra has many other novels published recently. And um, it, 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 if, you, if you like, you know, again, the theme of food, again, one of the major themes of Arab American literature is clear in her uh, novels and how it affects her um, as well as, um, you know, uh, her, you know, family, her past, her heritage um, affected her work. And actually, it's, I'm actually interested in reading most of her novels, uh, even though I mostly specialize in poetry. But um, I really recommend uh, reading her work. Um, she she's a great writer. She's a contemporary writer, and uh, that's what I have for you today. I hope you all uh, have enjoyed it. Back to you, Hayat. Yes, thank you so much. Um, I love Diana Abu Jabir. Um, her uh, like narratives, uh, they have this distinct style and tone. I do advise like everyone to uh, even like read it for the summer. Uh, all three books, they are amazing. Yes, thank you so much for. Uh, telling us about it today and uh, yes that's all from us today um, <clears throat> we'll see you um, uh, in uh, the upcoming episodes during the summer or even Ramadan uh, and uh, as I said before Mona will be joining us with the new academic year uh, so after the summer and uh, look out for our upcoming interviews uh, we have exciting interviews coming up and yes, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Thank you all. Thank you.